My name is Santiago Oñate. I'm the legal advisor of the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. I want to start by thanking the director of the Codification Division of the Office of Legal Affairs of the UN for inviting me to take part in this series of lectures. The purpose of the lecture, it is to provide an overview of the Chemical Weapons Convention, highlighting some of its objectives, its structure, and particular devices that have made it one of the more effective international agreements in the area of disarmament. This lecture is not intended for the specialist. It is rather an invitation for all those who want to approach the issue of disarmament, and in particular, of the way in which the Chemical, Com Chemical Weapons Convention has become a landmark. I will start by saying that it was in 1997 that the Convention entered into force. It was not created in one moment, not in one year, but it is the result, as most conventions are, of long-lasting efforts by the international community that had to tackle the problems of war, the problems of despair, the problems of killings and deaths that were caused by these type of weapons. Chemical weapons are allegedly the oldest of the so-called weapons of mass destruction. That is to say, weapons with an inherent capacity to kill large numbers of human beings indiscriminately. In common parlance, chemical weapons are those weapons that use the toxic properties of chemical substances to kill, injure, incapacitate, or harm an enemy. The first element that we have to consider is that we are talking about weapons that come out of chemical substances, that are the result of the properties of chemical substances that are available all through the world, and that can be used for different purposes, not all of them being linked to their use as weapons, but also substances that can and have to be used for development and for the obtention of goods that we use in our daily life. Reference to chemical weapons are to be found in ancient texts. The Ramayana and the Odyssey refer to poisoned devices and to the use of poisoned fumes during combat. They are not, therefore, modern weapons as such its origins go for a long period of time. Evidence is already available as to the use of poison as a warfare agent during the Peloponnesian Wars, during the Middle Ages, and in the Renaissance, a varied array of primitive chemical weapons were used in Europe. Due to indiscriminate effects since early times, the need to restrict or altogether proscribe its use was advocated. It is generally considered that the loss of Manu 
and we are talking about a document written more than 22 centuries ago, contains already the first explicit prohibition of what we call today chemical weapons. In it, in the Code of Manu, or in the Laws of Manu, poisoned weapons and blazed arrows are reputed as weapons of the wicked. Roman laws in the times of Cicero also considered the use of poisoned weapons as a distinctive crime. The Lex Cornelia provided for its severe punishment. In the international arena, several treatises and agreements also dealt with these dreadful weapons. An early example is to be found in the Estrasburg Agreement of 1675, negotiated in the aftermath of the siege of Groningen in northern Netherlands, where perfidious and odious toxic devices were banned with a clear reference to the poisonous gases that were deployed by the Bishop of Munster. Leaving aside these interesting precedents, it was the rise of the modern chemical industry in the late 19th century, which made it possible to develop chemical weapons on a large scale. Significant quantities of toxic chemicals were used during the first quarter of the 20th century. In 1915, during the Great War, poisonous gases were extensively used in the Battle of Bolimo in central Poland, and more extensively in the Ypres in northern Belgium. After this terrible war, chemical weapons were again to be deployed in the colonial wars of Morocco, Tripolitania, Abyssinia, and Mesopotamia as well as in conflicts in Xianqing and in Manchuria. The use of chemical weapons was accompanied by international efforts to restrict and prohibit its use. It is worth to note that the Peace Conference held here in The Hague in 1899 adopted the declaration which bans the use of projectiles the sole object of which is the diffusion of asphyxiating gases and that in an attempt to prevent further horrors as the more than one million casualties caused by toxic chemicals during the First World War, the Geneva Protocol in 1925 prohibited the use in war of asphyxiating poisonous or other gases. Notwithstanding these norms, and to the rather marginal use of chemical weapons during the Second World War, nothing prevented the states from building and testing new chemical weapons. Unfortunately, that was the case. All along the Cold War period, the major powers built up significant stockpiles of chemical weapons and other states of medium capabilities also embarked in the acquisition and development of this type of weapons of mass destruction. The use of chemical weapons during the second half 
of the last century was sporadic in civil wars and in some counterinsurgency operations. The exception came in the 80s, when Iraq made an extensive use of chemical weapons in its war with Iran and in the repression conducted by the regime against the Kurds. Several proposals related to the prohibition of chemical weapons and in more general terms for general and complete disarmament had developed during the 60s and 70s. But it was not until the world media provided extensive coverage of the terrible events that took place in Iraq that a solid ground was laid for the development of a new regime in which chemical weapons could be banned. Lengthy negotiations in Geneva during the late 80s and early 90s finally came to an end in December 1992, when the UN General Assembly was able to adopt Resolution 47-39. This resolution commended the Chemical Weapons Convention and called upon all states to become parties. It was then, in January 1993, in Paris, that the text of the convention was ready to be adopted. Three years, less than three years later, in October of 1996, 65 states have ratified the convention and as provided in it, 180 days later, the convention entered into force. By that date, 29 April 1997, 87 states have made it a rule to be observed, have made the convention a legal instrument that was binding and that was to be effective. A new and unique regime for disarmament was to emerge. Enough about history. What is it that makes the Chemical Weapons Convention a distinctive element? How is it that the convention works? What are the goals of this convention? The Convention on the Prohibition on the development, production, stockpiling, and use of chemical weapons and on their destruction, this is the lengthy title that the convention has, is commonly known as the Chemical Weapons Convention. It is a lengthy, complex, and in many ways, unique legal text. What are the goals of this convention? First of all, the convention is directed towards securing disarmament by completely excluding the possibilities of use of chemical weapons. It is the first international agreement that bans a whole category of weapons of mass destruction chemical weapons. But it is also a convention that looks 
towards non-proliferation. It is not enough to secure a peaceful world, to destroy the chemical weapons that are already there. It is also necessary that no more chemical weapons are ever produced. These two all-encompassing goals that are easy to understand are difficult to translate into concrete activities and concrete rules. But those who created the convention were not satisfied just with these two grand goals. They also included assistance and protection and the peaceful uses of chemical substances and the promotion of free trade and exchange of scientific and technological information as two further pillars of this convention. Therefore, the convention now seeks to secure, first, the full destruction of chemical weapons, second, the non-proliferation, thirdly, assistance and protection for all those who are threatened by the possible use of chemical weapons, and fourthly, by the promotion of free exchange of chemicals and scientific and technological infrastructure. All these objectives are constructed in the Convention, and all these objectives constitute the core rights and obligations of state parties. In order to approach ourselves to the way in which the Convention works, I will start by making reference to the prohibitions. The Convention prohibits all state parties to it to use, to produce, to stockpile, or to transfer in any way chemical weapons. Those who have chemical weapons have the duty to destroy them, and specific limits are set in the Convention. The deadline for destruction of chemical weapons as set in the Convention and as applied by the Conference of State Parties is now 29 April 2012. The non-proliferation objectives are directed to securing that no chemical weapons are created, and in this purpose, the Convention provides a list of substances of toxic chemicals that have to be controlled by those who use them. And these controls have to be carried on in accordance to a regime of international verification. So just referring now to these two main activities, disarmament by the destruction of chemical weapons and non-proliferation by preventing the creation of new chemical weapons, these two activities are carried on through a legal system in which state parties are obliged, have the duty to declare to the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, the organization created for the implementation of the treaty, what type of chemical weapons they have, what type of 
chemical weapon production facilities they have within their territory and how they are going to destroy them. And in the area of non-proliferation, they have to declare what toxic substances susceptible of being transformed into chemical weapons are being used on their territory. As you can imagine, all this has to be verified. And all this is verified by virtue of the convention. As to destruction, the places, the sites where chemical weapons are being destroyed are under permanent verification processes through internationally appointed inspectors who are there 24 hours, 365 days a year. As to the non-proliferation, the organization receives from state parties declarations as to where and what substances are being used that are contemplated within the convention. The organization also inspects these facilities and establishes their conformity with the rules and the norms. State parties to the convention that have assumed these fundamental obligations have therefore to inform, to declare to the organization certain activities that they are carrying on. And the organization on its turn has the right to inspect and to receive the reports from these inspections. As of today, the Chemical Weapons Convention is in force in 188 states. That is to say, in more than 90% of the territory of the world and in areas that comprehend the large majority of chemical activities that are relevant to this control. The quest for universality is still open and it is necessary to secure the full participation of those few state parties that remain outside of the organization. But in order to secure a world free of chemical weapons, it is not enough to have an international agreement that provides for this international verification. Those who created the convention were well aware that we were dealing with an issue that required extra efforts. It was of the essence that state parties to it were able to put in place within their domestic jurisdiction those rules and those institutions that will enable them to secure that the toxic chemicals susceptible of being diverted for the production of chemical weapons were under control on their own territories. To this effect, the convention mandates state parties to put in place those rules that will enable them to exercise full control on chemical activities. To achieve that purpose, it is not only necessary to have the active participation the active intervention of political powers, such as parliaments, congresses, dumas, 
it's also necessary that the institutions of that state recognize the importance of controlling the import and export of certain substances. To this effect, state parties have to build up the rules and institutions that will enable them to achieve this goal. And this road is still a road to be traversed by many of the state parties to the Chemical Weapons Convention. Just about one half of the present members of the organization have comprehensive legislation. A majority of them have some rules that help them in the obtention of this world free of chemical weapons. But when we talk about rules, agreements, conventions, it is not enough to talk even briefly, as I have done, as to the rights and obligations of state parties. There is always the persistent question about compliance. What if? What if some state parties do not behave as they have decided to do? What if someone decides to violate the Convention on the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons? To that effect, the Convention contains a compliance regime that provides, first of all, for a stringent verification. It also provides that in any case in which a state party has reason to believe that another member of the organization is in non-compliance with it, they can ask for consultations. They can involve the activities of the technical secretariat in order to determine, through a challenge inspection, whether or not the rule has been breached. And yes, finally, and as a last resort, if the policy-making organs of the organization find that a breach has taken place, the case can be brought to the attention of the Security Council of the United Nations. Up to now, that is to say, after 12 years of being in force, the organization has been able to deal internally with several questions, with several doubts about compliance. No issue of non-compliance has been established. This is, in itself, a significant advance of the Convention, as is, and we must also consider, that during the past 12 years, no state has used chemical weapons in any war. This fact is not a minor one, but in the times that we are living, seems to be not enough to secure the goals set in the Convention, namely a world free of the threat of chemical weapons. When the Convention was created more than 12 years ago, the concern at that time was just what states will be doing. At that moment in time, the use of chemical weapons by non-state agents was not considered as a main problem. It was not 
until 2001 that a serious discussion on this matter started within the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. State parties at that time considered, and I believe rightly so, that the best way in which security could be obtained internally and prevention of the use of chemical weapons by non-state actors was linked to two issues that the Convention already provides for. First of all, the destruction of the chemical weapons. If those chemical weapons that are still possessed by state parties are destroyed, it means that no one could have access to them. Secondly, by having in place effective rules that internally determine how toxic chemicals are going to be used within state parties. So, by enhancing internal security through these measures, state parties will also be contributing to the enhancement of global security. And this is the road that the organization has taken and the way in which the issue has been dealt with in recent times. Now, as to the destruction of chemical weapons, after 12 years of being in force, advances in this area are significant. Up to now, three state parties have finalized the destruction of the chemical weapons they have. Two more, the largest possessors, are working on this matter and have to meet the deadline of 2012. And finally, two state parties that joined the organization recently have still to start the process of destruction of some of the facilities they have and of small amounts of chemical weapons still on their possession. This is certainly a long-standing effort that could not be completely successful unless a persistent desire and a persistent will accompanied by concrete actions is carried on for the full implementation of the Convention. Full implementation of the Convention, and with this I approach my conclusion, means to internationally secure that all relevant activities are promptly declared and inspected by the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. And it also means that all the now 188 state parties put in place their domestic legislation in order to secure that activities related to toxic chemicals can be under control. This is just a brief introduction into a long issue of the Chemical Weapons Convention. I hope that with these words you might be invited to study it further and to look for concrete answers to your questions related to the international convention applicable to chemical weapons. Thank you for your attention.